We all have a yearning for love, but relationships can be confusing and complicated. Dr. Tammy Balashevsky says it all starts from within. It starts with a journey to center. Here's your host for Journey to Center on Empower Radio, Dr. Tammy Balashevsky. Hello, my beautiful friends and lovely listeners. I hope you're having a fantastic day. You know, relationships. We often think once we have that perfect one, we'll finally be happy. Have you noticed even when you get what you think you want, you still experience challenges and struggles? I think it's because wherever we go, there we are. And we always take our challenges, issues, energy, and consciousness with us. So how do we eliminate that sense of struggle and longing? How do we find true peace and authentic freedom? And how do we arrive at that seemingly elusive place of happily ever after? It seems everyone is in a hurry and running towards some destination or goal, but it always seems out there, somewhere in front of us or sometime in the future. Can we ever catch up to it? Can we ever attain it? Do we ever arrive? I often wonder if people get to the end of their lives and think, what was I in such a hurry for? What was I running towards? You've probably heard the saying, life is about the journey, not the destination. And I'm sure you've heard that it's important to stop and smell the roses. But how do we shift into that way of being? How do we settle into that groove? It's one thing to hear the words and intellectually understand them, something completely different to embody them and live this way on a daily basis. Well, today we're going to be talking to a gentleman who has written a guide to support us in attaining peace and embracing our happily ever after here and now. Tom Sterner has studied Eastern and Western philosophy and modern sports psychology. He's a private pilot, student of archery, and avid golfer. He's also worked in the sound and video arts fields as a recording engineer, editor, and processor. Tom is also a composer, an accomplished musician, and trained as a jazz pianist. He's parlayed all that he has learned from his professions into something he refers to as a love of practice. Tom has authored a wonderful book called The Practicing Mind, Developing Focus and Discipline in Your Life. He teaches his techniques to business people, athletes, musicians, and to learners and seekers of all genres. Tom has become quite proficient at teaching anyone who is open to it how to conquer life's challenges while also feeling patient and empowered in their lives. So Tom Sterner, I'm excited to be having this conversation with you. Welcome to Journey to Center. Thank you, Dr. Tammy. I'm really excited about being here. Well, you have quite a diversified background. You've had many, many careers, it seems. And I'm just curious, how did The Practicing Mind, your book, come into being? What inspired you to write it? Well, you know, that's interesting. When just listening to your um, your introductory monologue, I think that the listeners can see that I'm someone who has uh, had many interests and is a very inspired person. And that's really where I started as a child. I was a very inspired child. I had a lot of ideas, a lot of things that I wanted to do. The difference between me now and when I was young was that I had no perseverance. I was very undisciplined. And so I, I started off on many journeys and quit pretty quickly. And I think the thing that saved me in all of that was that I was aware of this pattern 
of behavior, even at a young age, I would say even in grade school, I had I started to notice it about myself. And as I grew older through middle school and into high school, I would almost uh, anticipate it. In other words, I would get into, interested in something and I would feel the intensity of my interest and the inspiration and the desire to, to get to this specific goal. And as I would start it, I would be anticipating that lack uh, that lack of discipline and the feeling that it wasn't as important to me as I had originally thought and mm. um, and walking away from it and then a feeling of a failure which also affected my sense of self-worth and, and my self-image mm. and I, when I was in my high school years I began to realize that I needed to change that and I started to look for ways to understand why I was like that and how I could change how I approached anything. And I really had no clue. I just had the awareness that I was like that and the awareness that I wanted to change. And I think things began to change for me when I got into college because I started studying uh, Eastern thought, uh, really just because a friend of mine gave me a book from one of his, a uh, textbook from one of his classes on uh, Eastern religions. And uh, I, I became fascinated by that. And that launched many, many years of studying Eastern thought. And then when I was in my late 20s, I became um, very interested in golf and performance, and I, that led into uh, a fascination with sports, psycho uh, sports psychiatry and sports psychology, I'm sorry. And what I think um, really stuck out at me was that in all of these Western forms of uh, research, what we were doing was just basically proving out what had been said for thousands of years. So I realized that this truth that was – uh, common to both of these these studies had stood the test of time, but it also stood the test of a lot of empirical research. So mm -hmm. I, I became very interested in that, and I worked at that. And, and then coincidentally at the same time, because of my uh, job, I was a concert piano technician, that I, I, a business I started when I was 19. Uh, I you know, everything you do on a piano is many, many times. It's at least 88 times because you have 88 notes. But everything in a piano is just um, extremely uh, multiplied. There's, you know, 5,000 parts in a keyboard action. You've got 34 adjustments per note, 235 strings. I mean, everything you do, you do over and over and over again. So it puts you in a position where you have to do repetition after repetition all day long. And that's just one piano if you're working on a half a dozen or so pianos during the day. The, the mundane nature of the work uh, and the monotony is excruciating unless you can find a way to find joy in just being in the moment and in the process. So mm -hmm. fortunately for me, while I was trying to figure all this out, I ended up in a job that gave me a solitude because I worked by myself all day and the ability to observe my thoughts and how I was processing that. Plus, I was gaining all this information extraneously that was able to go into refining what I was learning. And, and that's really where the practicing mind came from. I appreciate it so much. And, and I love what you're saying. I know it can be so um, painful to feel like we have to do something that we don't want to do. So it sounds like you just maybe set the intention to really make friends with the process. Is that accurate? It was. And I think that the thing that, that propelled me also was a feeling that I had no self-power. Mm -hmm. These were not things – the things that I was trying to accomplish were not things – they weren't a homework assignment or a report. They were not – 
something that somebody said, you have to do this. These were things that I chose personally from the heart. They were things that were important to me enough that I had the incentive to get started. And then I wasn't seeing them through. And I felt that I was very, that I think was the thing that was the most painful because I felt like if I can't see something through that I've chosen as uh something that I want to accomplish for myself, if I can't find the discipline to go through with that, then I really don't have any power or any control over my destiny. And that Mm. really gnawed at me, and that was really, I think, the impetus that kept me going to try to figure out uh, how to to overcome that. So important. You know, I think if we're not willing to take responsibility for the creation of our lives, we are in that victim stance. So it sounds like you really had that conscious awareness and from that place set very different intentions and now are really able to help other people. And I think it's important to realize that it's uh, the first step is the awareness and it's okay. It's not a judgment on uh, you know, I, well, basically what I realized was it wasn't that I was a bad person or that I was a weak person, and it wasn't that I was uh, – I couldn't become disciplined and focused. I just didn't understand why I was undisciplined and how to get from there to being a much more disciplined and focused person in my life. I can so relate to everything you're saying. I think I, I have many, many things in common with you in that regard. Maybe our listeners do as well, where you get excited about something and you're inspired. And I love the word inspired in spirit. You know, it's, it's, it's a really um, wonderful uh, place to be. But then, yeah, embarking on something and then kind of starting to get bored with it or lose interest. And I, I so understand that. So now, do you feel you're able to maintain that sense of interest? interest and inspiration or where where do you feel you are most of the time I um and I feel like I'm in a wonderful place I love to learn anything I love to <laughs> develop any new skill and anytime I start off on something uh I for me it's like opening up a new book I I, I feel like I'm so and I enjoy the process so much and I'm so unattached to the final goal, I just use the goal as a rudder, that I never feel like I'm not where I'm not supposed to be. I, uh, and I'm, I actually look at the sen- that sense of expanding and that sense of growing and being in the moment uh, as a joy, not a punishment. In other words, I don't look at the distance between where I am today and where I want to end up in this particular skill as this struggle that I have to go through or this nuisance I have to endure. I enjoy that, and it's, it's not a punishment. I'm glad that I have it. Mm, I love that. And that to me, you know, it's so funny that you're saying that because I I feel like I've gotten to the same place and that, you know what, this is it. I went and got this sign that said happily ever after and I gave it to my husband. He goes, what's this? I said, we're in it. It's not out there in front of us. It's here and it's now. And it feels like such a relief. It feels like such a relief. Relief is just a great way of putting it. It is a relief when you get there because you stop feeling like there's some place you need to get to to be happy. You know, we all have this sense, uh, maybe not constantly, but I think for the most part, we have this sense of feeling incompleteness inside. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. we're always trying to fulfill that feeling of incompleteness. And that feeling, we're driven through the marketing media uh, and what we're taught, that 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 sense of incompleteness is fulfilled someplace out there, someplace in another place, another time. That's where we have to get to. And when we get there, that feeling will go away. So we put all of our effort into trying to get there, whether it's buying a new car or new clothes Mm -hmm. or looking this way or getting more money or a different uh, relationship or whatever. We're always feeling like it's not here. It's not within me. It's out there somewhere. And part of that is because 
uh, there's so much profit in that, you know, uh, in the industry. So oh, sure. uh, it's it's uh, it's taught to us and it's reinforced uh, in us in a, uh, every day. And so when you realize, when you escape that, and you realize that I'm here now and everything is as it should be, that is, it's a wonderful freeing moment. Very liberating. It really, really is. You know, it's funny. I was driving in traffic in L.A., and I think that can be a meditation in itself if you, you know, open your mind to that possibility. And I was just so angry, as many people are. And I was, like, starting to, like, hit the roof of the car and scream. And then I, I kind of looked at myself, and I started laughing. It's like, you know what? Peace is available to me now. I'm, I'm sitting in a, in a comfortable chair. I'm listening to some nice music. The sun is out. And I thought I, I have to get home and I have to be on my couch before I can finally be happy. And I'm like, well, what about you can be happy now? And I had to laugh at myself. It was so, if somebody in the next car looked at me going from screaming to laughing, they would have thought me completely insane, I'm sure. <laughs> but I think the most wonderful point that you make there is what really freed you there was the ability to be aware of where your mind was taking you, mm-hmm. which is where most people are not. In other words, you had, you were, there, you had enough self-awareness there to realize that your mind was creating these thoughts. Those thoughts were eliciting these feelings, and they were taking you down this road. And you, you the thinker of the thoughts or the experiencer of the thoughts, was noticing that, which freed you to make a choice of this is – there's no reason for me to go here. I have a choice. And then you were able to change that. I think that that, to me, is just – that's a very important point uh, to make is that that self-awareness there is the freedom. It's the key to the prison door, and it's what allows you to change directions even in a very difficult situation. It's so true, and I really believe, you know, and if you've studied Eastern philosophies, I would imagine you agree, outer reality is the reflection of our inner reality. So as I started laughing and getting comfortable, the traffic started moving, and I was like, this is just hysterical to me. We think it's out there, but it's not. We have so much more power than we think inside of our own minds and our own hearts and our own souls. That's true, and if you look at things like, uh, you know, Buddhist psychology, they will say it's all just information. You know, it's just the um, feedback. Mm-hmm. That's right. It's information, and then we judge the information. This situation, I'm sitting in this car in this traffic jam. This situation makes me upset. Well, it's just you're just sitting there. It's just information. Then you're interpreting that information as a situation that makes you upset. The, the actual situation doesn't. It's your interpretation of the situation. And when you again, when you begin to separate yourself from that, and you have that power to do that, uh, which doesn't take. Uh, you know, it's not something that takes years to develop. It's just the desire to want to develop it that starts it and opens that door up. Then you begin to empower yourself with what you just uh, described there, with this choice, which I think is uh, is just so important, especially uh, in the world today. So true, because if we don't believe we have a choice, and sometimes when you're stuck in traffic or whatever in a line, you don't feel you have a choice. But we do have a choice about how we are with ourselves in that situation. We do have that choice, and I think that's the most important choice to be aware of, of all. Well, and what's really interesting, too, about that particular situation is um, when you're feeling in a hurry, 
uh, time seems to speed up. You know, I mean, it, you're driving and you feel like the light is taking forever to turn when it really isn't taking any longer than it normally does. But it, this, the, that sense of reality that starts to be created in you that, man, this is taking so long. I've got to go. I've got to go. I've got to get there. And all that internal dialogue that starts to ramp up. And it's simply because of your interpretation of the situation. But the actual time isn't any different. It, I, I find that fascinating. But I really notice that about myself. When I find myself either running late on something and I'm in traffic, I will feel uh, like it's taking longer to get there. And then that part of me that's observing that will say, no, it isn't taking any longer to get here. Your perception of the time is changing because of what you're asking out of the situation. Yeah, again, that awareness, because, yeah, when we're in a hurry or feeling rushed, it can certainly exacerbate that sense of anxiety and stress. And that can you can get on that wave and and lose that that feeling of of consciousness and that ability to be at choice it it can become like time can become like the enemy it seems oh absolutely uh, absolutely yeah that that's something i say all the time time is my friend <laughs> when people say oh, i don't have enough time i'm in a hurry i'm like maybe you shouldn't say that <laughs> Or we should maybe um, reevaluate. I think one of the other problems is that we try to squeeze way too much into a day, uh, and mm-hmm. that is also something that is fostered in us. You know, we, we we lose track of how fast our our culture moves. And and an example that I give is, you know, if you go back a hundred hundred and fifty years, and you know you. You lived in a cabin and you had to go into town to get supplies, you know, and it's 20 miles away. Well, that's an all-day event. You know, you get on your horse and you clip-clop along, and and you just basically accept the fact that it's going to take you so many hours to get, uh, you know, maybe 20 miles. And and you're okay with that. Now, you know, we go, I, you know, I need to go over to Europe. Uh, I think I'd like to go to the Olympics. You get on a plane, it's a seven-hour flight. I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is an eternal flight. And um, – and here we are going thousands of miles in a very short period of time, and yet our perception of that is that it's taking a long time. And I think that that's, um, it's a perspective you know, that we've really lost, and we're in a society and in a culture that demands that we function at a very high pace, and it's getting faster mm-hmm. all the time with global communication and texting, and everybody's connected all the time. and. Because of that, we're forced to operate. Our brains are forced to operate at a, at a higher rate. And we just, because we're in it, we feel like it's, um, it's just normal. But we keep, um, we're always trying to adapt to that. And I think we can lose the perspective of how much we're asking out of ourselves, out of our bodies, out of our minds to function in a, a culture that operates at that speed. You bring up such a great point, and I absolutely agree with you. We seem to live in such a, you know, um, ambitious society, ambitious culture, and it's like we have to get it yet done yesterday, and we think we have to multitask and to get everything done. What are your thoughts about multitasking? Well, multitasking is an interesting word because initially, uh, you know, that word was coined. You know, and I guess probably in the corporate world, you know, as being more productive. But there's been a lot of studies in that. And what the studies have learned is that multitasking, as we perceive it, as, as we define it, really does, does not exist. What happens is, and now they define it through the, after the research, as um, switch tasking. And uh, there's, uh, there's switch tasking means that, uh, you know, your brain has to stop and start for every function mm-hmm. that you do. And it just 
it happens so quickly that it feels like you're doing multiple things at once. So even when you're sitting at your desk and you're you're talking on the phone, but you're typing, uh, you know, email at the same time, or you know, surfing the net, or, or whatever, what is really happening there is these um, these extremely fast stops and starts of the brain, and it's in a very ineffective and not a very productive way to work. It actually exhausts us uh, from energy, which is one of the reasons why we're so tired all the time in our culture. And so they're looking at that, and they're realizing that uh, it, what we used to think of as uh, multitasking doesn't exist, and it's really very uh, unproductive. It's not very effective for increasing productivity. And the, when they add up the amount of energy that is lost, for each person in a company working during a day with this switch tasking going on all day long, and then they add that up to the week and then a month, the amount of productivity that is lost in the course of a year is mind-boggling. So they're really, I think, getting away from that, and they're finding that you know, people being more present uh, in their mind is much more in flow with how our brain actually works, You know, when you're doing one thing at a time and you're completely immersed in that one thing. And that's why we find that when people do that, they actually pick up time and they work without mistakes and they're not exhausted and they have a sense of inner peace. They're not um, wired out and flipped out and all that sort of thing. And they're beginning to prove all of this you know, with research. So, And what that will hopefully do is bring it into more of a mainstream um, perspective from uh, not only when we can do this stuff in our own personal lives, but in order for it to manifest in the, our, the culture of the working world, they're going to see it as a, they're going to have to see it as a bottom line thing. And they could say, well, if we do this, if we foster this in our employees, a more present moment awareness and a more functioning in the present moment, that our productivity will go up and our employees will be more happy. We'll get more out of them with less effort and all that. Then it will actually happen. I think that's kind of where we're at right now is in this transitioning phase. I think you're right. Yeah, I think it, and I agree with you. It can absolutely affect our uh, profitability. I know it does for me in my life. So, um, you know, I often talk about the importance of meditation, and I know you do as well in your book. And, you know, a lot of my clients will say, well, I don't have time to meditate. And I said, well, the funny thing is, if you meditate, you'll have more time. Because <laughs> <laughs> you, you just, you are, you're more present, you're more focused, you're not um, you know, scurrying about doing busy work, which really does take a lot of energy and it does create a lot of stress. And for me, in the past, I know I struggled a lot more with my health, with colds and flus and, you know, disease, I think is unease. And I think that can come from that stress and anxiety from not being balanced and present and peaceful. What are your thoughts? Well, usually what I do, and you just proved it all out, I, um, when I work with, with people either, either individually, like I've worked with athletes um, or you know, corporate people where I'm doing a group thing, I, I will ask the people to sit, sit there for two minutes, close their eyes, and stop thinking. Mm-hmm. And you know, for the most part, what happens is they can't. And for, the, um, for most of these people, it's the first time in their life that they, they realize that their mind is a thought machine and that it produces thoughts with or without their awareness and with or without their, uh, their permission. And even when they're willing it not to, it continues to do it. And what that tells them is that uh, who's really in charge of your day? Is it you or is it your mind? And also, where is your mind taking you during the day? And what meditation does is increase that awareness 
of you of when you are in charge of your thinking process and when your mind is just running on idle and it's just going out in search mode. That's what they call it in sports psychology, and it just goes out in search mode. It's If you don't give it something to think about, it'll go looking for something to think about. And many times what it will choose to think about is not what you want it to think about for that particular moment uh, in order for you to be the most effective and, and successful. So what meditation does is, uh, and if people don't like the name, it's just a label, but you know what you're really doing is trying to become more aware of your thoughts and more in control of your thoughts. Uh, and it's, that, to me, is the most powerful thing that you can develop for yourself. And you're right. It does give you the ability to focus because you begin to be aware of when you're not focusing and when your mind is running around and when it's not doing what you're asking it to. So meditation is a key ingredient to me uh, to be successful in life and to experience inner peace in anything you're doing. Yeah, I agree with you. It, becomes, it gets to the point where you're, you're able to just watch your thoughts but not be consumed. You, don't, you, you aren't your thoughts. There's a difference, I think, between witnessing them and thinking you are them. Oh, thank you for making such a great point. That's right. I, I say, you know, we need to learn to be, um, to not be in our thoughts, uh, you know, to be, to realize that we're the thinker of the thoughts, which is just what you just said. Because when we are in our thoughts, um, then we are experiencing, uh, um, you know, simultaneously whatever, we're just a puppet of the thought. So if we have yes. a thought that makes, that's a sad thought, then we feel sad or angry or happy or whatever. Uh, and then we are not in control. We're just, uh, you know, being stimulated by our thoughts. Uh, and that's, I think, for most people. I watch people all day long, and they just are being led around by their thoughts, and they're completely unaware of it. And it, that's what meditation does is it allows you that opportunity to see that you're not your thought, that you um, experience your thought, and that you can have control over what thoughts you have and how many thoughts you have. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. And I like what you said. It is, it can feel like you're a puppet or being whipped around and you're out of control. And it's a terrible feeling. It, it's uh, really unpleasant. So I love that you are so um, clear about your thoughts and so um, generous in your book. I uh, find it was, it was really enjoyable to read. It was, you had wonderful stories, wonderful anecdotes, wonderful wisdom, and I'm really looking forward to getting more into that. I also want to let my listeners know he's going to share with us how you can get a personalized signed copy. So that's something I think worth sticking around for, for sure. And um, I'm going to read a real quick excerpt from your book, and I want to talk more about the practice of patience and uh, the practice of practice, which I know you've made great friends with. Everything in life Worth achieving requires practice. In fact, life itself is nothing more than one long practice session, an endless effort of refining our motions. When the proper mechanics of practice are understood, the task of learning something new becomes a stress-free experience of joy and calmness, a process which settles all areas in your life and promotes proper perspective on all life's difficulties. I just take a deep breath when I read that, as I did so much through your book, Tom. It's really just an enjoyable read thank you so much so much wisdom so when we come back tom's going to share with us how we can relinquish our judgments attain true freedom and get into the zone with his 4s system you're not going to want to miss this if you're ready for more peace and happily ever after now all right hold on we'll be back with tom sterner the odds of a young girl being discovered by an industry insider while singing to herself pumping gas 
one in 300 million. The odds of the daughter of a clergyman from Severn, Maryland, spending 11 weeks at number one on the U.S. singles charts, one in 19 million. The odds of going on to win six Grammy Awards, one in 1.4 million. The odds of selling over 40 million records, one in 800,000. And the odds of this musician and performer having a child diagnosed with autism, one in 150. I'm Tony Braxton, and I encourage you to learn the signs of autism at AutismSpeaks.org. Early diagnosis can make a lifetime of difference. Autism Speaks. It's time to listen. Brought to you have by you Autism ever lost Speaks a cat? and the Ad Council. And have you ever wanted to get your cat back after you lost it? Hi there, I'm Andrew Hoffman. I went on this website called inventnow.org. Then I decided to make an invention of my own. It's called the Lost Cat Magnet Invention. So you can get your cat back after you lost it. Just turn it on and lost cats stick to it. That's a good cat. If your cat was hiding up in a tree, it won't be up a tree anymore. It will be stuck to the lost cat magnet. And sometimes they fly toward you in the air. Just listen to one satisfied cat. See, that's proof. You should go to the inventnow.org website too. But just remember one thing. Don't do a lost cat magnet. Anything's possible. Keep thinking. Get started on your own inventions or just play some games at inventnow.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, the National Inventors Hall of Fame Foundation, and the Ad Council. Hi, I'm Lisa Edelstein. Every day on set, I help my fictional doctors save the lives of imaginary patients in the TV series House. Every day in his village in Ethiopia, Barrasa Ware helps save the lives of real children as a local health worker. Like many children in the developing world, the ones in Barasa's village are threatened by common illnesses that kill millions worldwide. But unlike villages without a local health worker, the children of Barasa's village get the care they need to survive. Imagine how many more children could be saved with your help. When you help local health workers like Barasa, you help children survive all over the world. <laughs> See where the good goes at goodgoes.org and find out all the ways you can help the good go further. Brought to you by Save the Children and the Ad Council. You're listening to Empower Radio. Now back to Journey to Center with Dr. Tammy Belashevsky. Hello, my friends. I'm so happy you're hanging out with us here on Journey to Center, and I hope you're getting the great value from Tom Sterner that I am, and I'm sure you are. So, Tom, something I have to say, you know, after I read your book, I started thinking to myself, what if life is just one long practice? What if everything I'm doing is just about practicing being human? And it really did give me this sense of, of greater patience and peace, just that thought. So I, I appreciate that. Thank you for writing this book. It, it helped me look at things in kind of a different way that really brought me a sense of um, greater balance and presence and peace. And I loved that. Well, thank you. So I'm interested in knowing more about your four S's, your four S system. And I was reading about them and it's 
it again just brings you back to truth. It brings you back to the present moment. It brings you back to a place of peace. And it's simple, but it's not easy to remember. So I would like to know from your perspective what this these four S's are and how they can support us in attaining greater freedom and peace in the present moment. Well, the four, uh, four S words are simplify, small, short, and slow. And what's interesting about them is they're all very intertwined with each other because when you simplify something, you um, generally make it small. Uh, it's always easier to work on something at a slower pace than at a fast pace. And when you work in shorter intervals, uh, you, it's easier to focus on something. So they're all very intertwined with each other. But I think one of the main things that they they help us to do is to reel our mind into the present moment. Because they, when you say, I'm going to use the four S words, you've immediately uh, taken control of your awareness. And now you're focusing your awareness on what you want to do, meaning that you want to simplify it. You want to make this, the section smaller. You want to shorten and you want to work slower. Anytime you do something like that, where you say you kind of redefine how you want to approach something, then you are pulling your mind into the present moment simply by doing that. The reason that I use, um, I look at any task that you have to do, and, and these are not just physical tasks like cleaning the garage, but they, they can be a task like learning to deal with an angry coworker, someone that you have to deal with or an obnoxious person on a regular basis. The, the mistake that most of us make is we, as soon as we pick a goal is we, um, we generally attach a sense of, we become very attached to the point where we're going to cross that goal, we're going to accomplish that goal, and we're going to hold the goal in our hand. If it's losing 25 pounds, it's, you know, when we step on the scale and we can look down and see 25 pounds are gone. And when we do that, and we feel that, okay, when I get to that point, everything is going to be good, that's what we've done. We've created this big void between where we are now and where we want to end up. So... Mm-hmm. Immediately, we begin fighting with ourselves, and, we, and that void becomes a struggle instead of where we want to be. Instead of looking at that and saying that instead of being able to be in that moment and enjoying that moment of losing the weight. I mean, I, I've said to people, if you're talking about a diet, you know, the trick is to learn to enjoy the process of losing weight instead of being attached to losing the weight. And there's a very big difference there. And mm-hmm. then it becomes just how you function in the process of dieting. Most of us have this feeling that when we lose this weight, all of a sudden we're going to be real happy, when usually that isn't the case. I mean, we feel better physically, but there's, there's always something else, as we spoke about earlier in the show, where we just, we just set another thing out there that we need to get to to be happy. But, you know, I, somebody said to me one day that um, they said, you know, I tried to be present moment yesterday, and it just didn't work. I just couldn't pull it off. <laughs> And I said, well, the problem there was the word yesterday, because (laughs) even somebody that is really good at this um, would have trouble being present moment all day long. I said, what you need to do is simplify that process. I said, so let's say I want to be more present moment tomorrow. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to break my present moment sessions down into very small things, brushing my teeth. When I brush my teeth, I'm going to be fully present. So right there, we've broken, we've simplified being present moment into a small act and short activity. And you'll find if you try to slow down, because we're all so hyper with everything that we do, if you try to do anything slowly, it will pull you into the present moment because everything about you will be resisting it. it you know, you'll feel like I've got to go, go, go here. I've got to move faster. 
and you'll feel like you're getting behind. And it will take a lot of mental discipline and focus to, to brush your teeth very slowly, mindfully, deliberately. And you're talking about a three-minute act there. It's certainly something that you can pay attention to and you can last long enough to get through. So, you know, you do that for three minutes and you've just spent three minutes being totally present moment. And and I also tell people, and then you need to let go of it. You cannot be present moment all day long. You do pick that. You know, and then it's like when I drink my coffee, you know, or when I'm making my breakfast toast or whatever it is. And, and the same thing, you know, if you're driving to work, it's pretty hard. If you've got a 20-minute drive, it's pretty hard to say, I'm going to be totally present moment on my drive to work. Well, what I do when I'm working on something like that is I pick a mile marker. You know, when I get to the 7-Eleven or whatever, I'm going to stay focused for that long because then you know that there's something that's attainable it's, and it builds your confidence and you start to see that I can be in control instead of trying to, like if you're going to lose 30 pounds, you're not going to lose 30 pounds in a week. And I also think that that's another thing that we do is we immediately pick unrealistic goals that are based on uh, no data. In other words, like this person said, I try. I tried to be uh, um, present moment all day yesterday, and I couldn't pull it off. Well, that's an unrealistic thing. And where did they get this information that told them that it was even possible to be completely present moment in a whole day? Or if I want to lose 25 or 30 pounds, what will happen is as soon as we have that goal, we usually pick some sort of an arbitrary time. Eh, it'll probably take me a month, six weeks. We don't really have any information that's telling us that with our body type and our diet and all these other factors and, and our lifestyle and uh, that it should take six weeks. But we pick this number out, and then we begin to measure ourselves against that number. Geez, it's been two weeks. I've only lost a pound. This is not going well. Well, maybe it's going very well. It's maybe most people in that situation would have only lost a half a pound. You don't know that, but you're may, all, the, all these judgments are going on in your mind based on this information that you've taken on yourself that you really don't have anything to prove out. So there's a lot of factors there, but I, I think that it's very important that simplify small, short, and slow. You know, slowing, slowing up will always pull you into the present moment because it's very difficult to do today. And, you know, remember that anything you're doing, you can simplify. That's the very first thing you want to do. And just by saying to yourself, I need to simplify that. You've pulled your mind into the present moment because instead of just doing it absentmindedly, now you have a purpose in whatever you're doing, whether that's working on a report or somebody's coming at you and this is somebody who's difficult to deal with. You know, when you say, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to get better at this. I'm going to simplify this. I'm going to just deal with the person's initial contact with me. Well, right there, you simplified it. You pull yourself into the present moment and you've separated yourself from the emotions that come uh, spontaneously from the behavior of this other person. And then, like I said, you work in small increments and for short periods because you can do that. And then you begin to develop not only uh, a sense of, um, of power and confidence, but you begin to, just like any exercise, and that's what this is, you begin to build up your ability to go for longer periods of time. And then it starts to become the natural way that you handle situations. And you don't have to tell yourself to do that because it just becomes more who you are becomes a habit. Right. And you talk about that in your book. You talk about cultivating the habits that we want. That's right. We Everything we know that everything that we do becomes a habit. Anything that you repeat over and over again, and then we're not just talking about uh, a specific area of your golf swing. You know, we're talking about uh, the way you think, the way you react to situations. They, they are habitualized in your brain and in your personality. And you can change any of them 
through repetition. Repetition equals habit. And that habit can be good or it can be bad. But I think what's very freeing and comforting about that knowledge is, you know, I um, have a thing in, in uh, productive practice where I say repeat and relax. Anything you repeat, you're going to make into a habit. So just relax when you're repeating it. Don't sit there measuring this and that. Your brain, your personality will make it into a habit. It's just you can't stop it from happening. It will become a habit. So anything that you want to accomplish, any personality change, you know, you have to first define what that is, have the intention, because the intention is what brings your attention to it and yes. brings your awareness into the present moment because you've ha you have to be in the present moment in order to have the intention of what you want to accomplish and just repeat it. And also don't judge yourself when, um, you know, like if you say, well, what I want to do is every time this person says something to me that's annoying, I'm not going to be annoyed. Well, sometimes you will be annoyed. And um, <laughs> it's the fact that you're aware that you want to change that and that when you did become annoyed, you can say to yourself, you know, that really wasn't how I would have preferred to handle that. Well, just in that moment, you've empowered yourself because you've empowered yourself to make a choice to change. You know, a brief story, I, I did a talk at a college one time for department heads and uh, there was an older gentleman that uh, asked me a question uh, at the end of the, the talk, and he said, you know, I read your book. He said, and I have to confess, I've, I've been married for many years, and I've had this problem with I don't pay attention to my wife and she's when she's talking to me, and she's always bringing this up to me. And he said, so after reading your book, I thought, you know, I'm going to be more present when she's talking to me. I'm really going to make an effort to do that. So he said the next day they were riding in the car, and this university was in Kentucky, and he said, we're having – she's talking to me. I'm in the passenger seat, and he said, I was really focused on what she was saying and very engrossed in it. He said, but then she mentioned the University of Kentucky, and he said – and being a uh, department head at the Sutter College, he said, I immediately had this um, remembering that I needed to email this professor over there. And he said, I kind of went off <laughs> in this tangent in my mind of what I was going to say to him, and – he said, and I, I caught myself, and I thought, oh, gosh, I'm not paying attention to her. I'm right back to where I was. And that was what his – he said, that troubled me. And I said, I don't think you're really listening to what you're saying here. I said, like, for 40 years, as you described, <laughs> you weren't listening to your wife. I said, now you've got this awareness that not only you're going to – to listen to your wife, but as soon as you stopped listening to her, you were aware that you stopped listening to her and you brought yes. yourself back. I said, do you see how empowered you are now compared to where you were just a, a week ago? And he, you know, he said, I never thought of that. And I said, well, see, now you have, you have the, um, the privilege of choice. You know, now you can work on that, whereas before you would have just been off on that tangent the whole car ride. I think you bring up such a wonderful point to be able to acknowledge ourselves when we get it right. Not that, you know, not beat ourselves up because we didn't flip a switch and it didn't stay that way. You know, I think, I think our pain, our real pain comes from judging ourselves, you know, beating ourselves up rather than being able to acknowledge ourselves and enjoy ourselves, enjoy I, being ourselves. I totally agree with that. And I also feel that we, I don't look at, when you say I want to be or I say I want to be more present moment, I don't look at being attached to this feeling of I need to be present moment all the time or I can't be happy any differently than I'm, I can't be happy unless I make more money. I can't be happy. It's no different to me than mm -hmm. any of the other scenarios that we talked about earlier. What you've done is you've said – I do not have what I need to be happy right now, and when I achieve this or I get to here, then I'm going to be happy. 
being present moment, um, that in itself is not being present moment, but I, um, which is what's the paradox there, you know, but I think that yes. um, we need to remember that in any skill that we're trying to develop, simply by understanding that um, by working at it, we're, are, we are expanding and growing. In that moment, we have accomplished um, what we're trying to, and there is no place that we're going to get to where we are perfect and um, we have this sense of perfection and everything is great all the time. That's not what it is. And we're not designed to be that way. And right. we have to realize that perfection is not someplace, the stagnant place in time and space that we get to. And then it's over with. Because, you know, if you look at that, then uh, th that there's no way to me that that could be a definition of perfection. Perfection has to be infinitely expanding and always able to expand. And that's the beauty of it, and that's the gift of it. It's not a punishment. And so we have to realize that being the human spirit, that we are part of that perfection, and that wherever we are is where we should be based on the amount of effort that we have put in. And we have this infinite ability to grow. As a musician, I don't would not consider... If I could get to a point where someone could say, here's the hardest piece of music that was ever written, and I played that piece perfectly or mastered it or however you want to say it, to feel like, well, I've reached perfect musicianship. There's nothing left for me to do. I can't get any better <laughs> technically, and I can't grow anymore in music. I'm done with music because I cannot grow anymore. I want to feel like music is infinite, and no matter how good I get, no matter what I accomplish, it's always out there beckoning me to come farther. And that, mm -hmm. to me, as I said, that's a gift. It's not a punishment. You can look at it as a punishment because you can feel like, I'm never going to get to there. Where is there? Where is that there that you're trying to get to? You know, that the fact that you can grow infinitely to me is a wonderful gift, and we need to look at it that way instead of looking at it as some drudgery that we have to go through. I so agree with you. You know, something I say all the time is we didn't come here to be perfect. We came here to be loving. So relax, relax into your heart and let that be the space you um, enjoy and find peace in. And for me, um, having that awareness really has supported me in just slowing down and just enjoying the experience of, of being human. And I really think actually um, aspiring for perfection is one of the more toxic desires we can we can have for ourselves. Well, and I think that, as we said earlier, it's really taught to us and pushed into us every day because yes. that that sense of I need something other than what I have to be happy is where mm -hmm. uh, basically so much of our commerce comes from. And so we are made to feel that way and uh, and we fall into that. What I think is so important is to be aware of that so that you can be separate from it. Mm -hmm. and, and, and an analogy that I've used for people is if you look at a television commercial, a television commercial is crafted to manipulate you without you knowing it. And so when you watch a television commercial, you have these urges, uh, I need to do this, I need to buy that, uh, I, I'm incomplete. Uh, mm -hmm. And if you say to somebody, this is what I want you to do, because there's, uh, there's millions of dollars of research that has gone into that commercial to find out who is the person that will be um, receptive to this product and how we manipulate them. And I will tell people, the next time that commercial comes on, I want you to tell me, I want you to watch it and then tell me who is their market, what's their age, what's their sex, 
and what are they actually trying to sell them, and how are they doing it? Now the same commercial comes on. The commercial has all the same video running, the same audio, or the same dialogue, the same characters, the same acting. Everything is going on, but now the person is, is separate from the commercial, and the commercial has no power over them because now they're looking at the commercial and saying, well, let me see. Uh, is it men that they're trying to – because there's two men and there's a woman, and who's the smart person, and who's asking the question, and who has the answers, and what are their age groups, and do they have hair? Do they not have hair? Are they overweight? All these things are calculated. People sit in a room and calculate how to put this in. And now when you watch it, as I said, it's the same commercial, but it doesn't have any power over you. You're completely separate, and you're in control. And that's how we want to be with all these things that are trying to manipulate us in our lives and, and also mm -hmm. with our thoughts because that's really how we're being manipulated through the, in the commercial is through our thoughts. The, the commercial is creating thoughts in us and reactions, and those reactions are eliciting emotions and making us want to do things. So uh, that's a good way to me for people to see that there is a lot of money in making us feel incomplete, and we're not incomplete, and, and we need to be able to separate ourselves from that so that we're aware of when we're trying to be manipulated. I love that, you know, and, and what comes to mind for me is just choosing to be the watcher more and more of the time, and the way I kind of envision it is like, just um, for a minute, pretend your life is like a, a movie, and rather than being sucked into the flat screen, into this movie, go back and sit in the chair in the audience and relax and watch it go, oh, isn't that interesting? There's a little drama that's going a, on here. That's a great <laughs> – uh, Dr. Tammy, that's a great analogy. It's, that, hel you know, it's helped me sometimes when I've got sucked into the flat screen. <laughs> well, and a movie is a great example of how we sit there and we're, um, we can become completely immersed and emotional uh, about what is going on on the screen. It's not actually happening. It's a two-dimensional image projected on the screen, and yet we can f um, feel angry, sad, happy, all these things we can feel watching something that isn't even real, uh, and that's just a great analogy. Yeah, it's, it's just another tool that I've used in my life because I do want to spend more time conscious of being conscious and not getting sucked into the small drama that, that can show up in our lives, you know, getting the speeding ticket or, you know, having an unpleasant interaction with another uh, person at Starbucks or, or whatever, somebody's impatient. And, and something else I really, really love that you write about in your book is the quality of equanimity. Can you tell me a little, a little bit more about that? Um, equanimity would be not you know, being not judging. And I yes. think that, um, you know, one of the things that we have to realize that for the most part, uh, judgment, I, you know, I tell people, you know, learn to analyze and then stop the process there because mm -hmm. judging is always uh, infested with emotions and emotions come from interpretation. So, you know, analyzing, if you look at, you know, when you watch, observe something or you experience something, the way it happens is, you know, you analyze it and then in microseconds you're judging it. That they, they almost feel like the same process, but they're not the same process. And, you know, you can give some examples. You know, people can say, well, you know, there are fear fearful situations. Yeah, there are fearful situations. But judging, I can tell you as a pilot, you know, they teach you that the way to survive a fearful situation is to not judge the situation as fearful. You have to be able to stop that before it happens. If you look at, uh, you know, several years ago when uh, Captain Sully landed that Airbus on the Hudson River. I mean, when you look at that situation, the guy had taken off and the Statistically, the chances of birds flying into both engines on that airplane and shutting them down are they're, they're just astronomical. And yet they happen to this guy in the worst scenario. Here he is, he's low altitude, full of fuel, and full of people. 
and over New York City. I mean, you know, the, I've said the only thing that could have been worse is it would have been at night. But he had about everything go wrong that could go wrong. And yet, if you listen to the transcripts of him on the radio, he's very deliberate and um, very precise and, and analyzing. We can't do this because of this. We can. He could have very easily given way to this, um, the, the judgment of the situation. This is unfair, and I don't think we'll survive. And if I make a mistake, we'll all, all these people will die. And, and he could have gone on and on. And all of that judgment would not have have served him in the situation. Right. So I you know it's very important that we realize that the reason for trying to learn to stop after analyzing is because it serves us so much better. If you look at all the professional people in emergency uh, EMTs, the people that have to come up on car accidents, paramedics, and all, they're taught procedures so that it takes the emotion out because most of the time emotions really inhibit our ability to think clearly and make good decisions. And they also can run away with us and, and cause us to make bad decisions. So equanimity to me is a very, a very important quality, and it comes from not judging. And once again, when you, you can't do that if you don't learn to be aware of when you're judging. So we're right back to our thoughts. Oh, that thought, here I am judging this situation. You know, I'm going into this interview and I'm feeling afraid. You know, well, that feeling of afraid is not going to help you do well in the, in the interview. And it's not, it's not that we're not being critical of the fact that you're feeling afraid. That's not an abnormal reaction. But by, when you become aware that this feeling is happening, then you start to become, and, and when you're piloting, they say you always want to be ahead of the airplane. Well, you want to be ahead of your emotions. You want to be ahead of your thoughts. And you do that by stopping after the analysis and, and learning. It's a skill. I mean, you have to work at it. It really is a skill, and it does take uh, a lot of patience and discipline. I love this uh, quote that you have in your book. The problem with patience and discipline is that developing each of them requires both of them. <laughs> It is. It's a paradox, you know. Uh, when you it made me that. laugh, and I had to read it like two or three times. I love that so much. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And either one, if you want to be more patient, to take, you know, it, it takes discipline. If you want to be more disciplined, you have to be patient with yourself as you develop discipline. So you really, they're intertwined, and you can't escape each one. But, but what you can do is learn to not judge yourself in terms of where you are on the path of becoming more disciplined exactly. and more Exactly. And I think that's such a core message, Tom, if, if our listeners are, are paying attention, if you take anything away from this, this, this uh, time with our expert, uh, that would be it. To not judge yourself through the process, to be kind to yourself through the process. To me, that changed everything. You were talking earlier about, you know, just starting to pay attention to your thoughts. And when I really first started that process, I was a little bit astonished of the habit that I had of beating myself up, you know, saying really mean things to myself that I wouldn't say out loud to anyone else about anyone else. And I went, oh, wow, I need to learn to become nicer to myself. And as I um, have really been patient with myself and, and cultivated that habit, gosh, my life just works so much better. I enjoy myself so much more. My relationships are improved. My career is improved. Everything has improved. And I feel like I can take a deep breath now. This was, this was what I was seeking, was just not judging myself. That's well, the happily ever after. That's right. And that, um, that awareness is freedom. You know, the awareness that yes. you're doing that and, and realizing yes. that, um, you know, life is a journey and that's what you're trying to experience. What people do is they miss the journey because they're mm -hmm. trying to get somewhere. 
You know, as a um, as a sailor, you know, I've heard it said that you know when you get out of the marina, you've reached your destination because <laughs> the, you know the des the, the the destination is the journey to the destination, and that's where the joy in sailing comes from. It's from minding the boat and trimming the sails and watching the wind and how it affects everything and experiencing the wind in your face and the sun on the water and all that. That is the joy of uh, the process of getting to this destination that you've just. You've just chosen this destination to give you some place to go and to keep you aware of whether you're actually heading towards it. But it's really the sailing that's the fun part. I love that. The destination is the journey to the destination. I, I'm going to have to sit with that. That's really that, – <laughs> that puts it into a nutshell right there. <laughs> I love that. So, Tom, we had mentioned that if people wanted to get a personalized signed copy of your book, we were going to be able to share with them how they could go about doing that. So can you can you tell them? Absolutely. You can go to thepracticingmind.com. Uh, on the product page there, you, uh, you'll see on the right side as you click on buy the book now, you click on there. And there are links that take you to the standard places like Amazon and Barnes and Noble. But also, I had so many requests from people asking for a signed copy, either for themselves or for their their friend, that I set it up so that uh, if you um, purchase the copy online there, and I am, you know, we are discounting it off of the retail price, uh, you can, uh, there's a thing in the shopping cart which just says, you know, who do you want the book signed to? And I do sign every one of them. I love to do it. I enjoy, I'm very grateful to people for supporting my work, and I love the opportunity to sign the book to someone. So if you do that, you'll put it in there, and then I, the books are all given to me along with the order, and I, I sign each book to each person. Well, Tom, this has been so much fun for me, such a pleasure and a privilege, and I feel um You've given me some really wonderful nuggets to support me in experiencing uh, greater freedom and peace and patience. And for that, I'm very, very grateful. Well, Dr. Tammy, I have really enjoyed being on your show, and I'm very grateful to you for giving me the opportunity to come and, and speak with you and, and also dialogue with you. It's, been, it's really been wonderful. It has been wonderful, and your message is so, again, so clear, so concise, so you know, filled with truth, capital T truth. And, you know, that's my favorite thing in the world is to connect with, with people that want to bring greater truth into the world. So I feel like uh, this has been just uh, really the point. This has been the point is just spending time with you and having this conversation. So I'm just, again, so very, very grateful. And I'm so grateful to my lovely producer, Steve. Thank you for all your work behind the scenes. And Brent Carey for creating the forum called Empower. It's so much fun to have these conscious conversations and hopefully ripple out this positive love and light and tools and techniques and truth to our friends, our listeners, to the world. So thank you, Brent Carey. And to my lovely, lovely listeners, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you. And if you want to get a hold of me, please go to my website, TammyBPhD.com. That's spelled with an I, T-A-M-M-I-B-P-H-D.com. And you can get a hold of me there if you want to ask me any questions, if you want to fill out something for a strategy session, if you want a free guided meditation to support you and just relaxing into the present moment and experiencing more freedom and peace, I would just be honored to connect with you in whatever way serves. So again, thank you so much. I hope you all have a wonderful, present, peaceful day. Be patient with yourselves. Love yourselves. Onward and upward. Bye for now.